0: Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining the Embed podcast in which we discuss finance, tech, and entrepreneurship. In today's episode, we will be discussing the true Dow trucking incident and how that could be a push for crypto. Second, we'll be digging into the couple that laundered $3.6 billion in crypto. And uh, to talk more on these topics, Simon Grunfield makes his second appearance on the pod. So thanks for coming on the pod. Uh, how are you doing, Simon?
1: Uh, it's great, James. Thanks for asking. It's a great week at the simba chain as
0: always and um so let's start off with some background here the group of truckers were protesting a new vaccine order which required them to be fully vaccinated. Justin Trudeau, who was the prime minister of Canada, employed the emergency act against the truckers. They directed bank accounts to freeze of anyone who contributed more than $25 or more to the protest. So anyone who contributed $25 or more had a risk of financial ruin because of their frozen bank accounts. So Simon, could this be a promotion for Bitcoin and crypto because it's decentralized and not controlled by a central bank?
1: So I would say yes or no. So if you want to maintain, if you want to keep yourself within crypto, then to some degree, yes. So if all of these uh, participants were just keeping themselves in crypto, if those donations were all sent in crypto, uh, if the people who received those donations kept everything in crypto, you know, it's you're completely immune to central banking. At some point, though, for somebody to realize that value, they have to do a conversion. Right. And at some point, it it would have to get back into the central uh, bank system. That's that's the point that, yeah, regulatory kind of kicks in. So I would say that, yeah, again, if they want to keep everything in crypto, they'd be fine. But at some point they have to, you know, quote, repatriate that into Canadian loony back into, you know, the ecosystem. But, you know, it's kind of interesting. This is a very interesting topic because, you know, if you would ask me the same question two weeks ago, I wouldn't be able to use Ukraine and Russia as a reference. Um, By virtue of a lot of the world communities coming together and coming down on uh, President Putin uh, and by enacting these new SWIFT regulations, by closing them off, now you're able to actually really invoke sanctions that really hit people's pocketbooks. Whereas before it was kind of like up in the air a little bit, you know, maybe we'll add more taxes or maybe we'll block a few things, but by hitting them directly in the SWIFT, You're effectively cutting off the central bank of Russia from the rest of the world. And look at what happened, okay? Look, the ruble is trading at an all-time low. It's less than a penny. I haven't checked today. Yesterday, it was 0.3 cents or something like that, yeah, it was well under a penny. It's only going to get worse. Their stock market is tumbling. They've hit the kill switch on it a few times because it went through a number of different thresholds. They had to just stop trading a bunch of times. I think
0: they even Uh, closed the market for one day on Monday, I believe.
1: It, it could have been i stopped tracking it because it's just it's just like watching one dumpster fire after another after another right. you know at some point it kind of get insult but i mean the thing is it, it these these actions work and i think that if you take a step back fundamentally that was really one of the primary purposes of setting up a network like this where there's a sort of a shared centralized consensus amongst participants where they can keep tabs on each other it's sort of like a a centralized, decentralized topology to some degree. And yeah, so if you would have asked me the same question two weeks ago, I wouldn't have had this reference point, but now that we actually see it working in action, there is a strong argument to be said about
0: centralized finance at the end of the day. Speaking of, Ukraine has been getting millions in donations from people across the world. Do you think that will also cause a push um, for Russia and Putin to start engaging more in crypto?
1: Well, I don't know if that necessarily would, would you know, move the needle for what uh, Putin and, uh, uh, you know, his buddies are looking to do or not looking to do. Look, they're, they're, they're living in cash. They're living in, you know, in, in the world of fiat. Uh, they have no reason, or at least up until now, they really had no reason to try to circumvent all that stuff. Um, you know, a lot of his buddies have these golden passports also, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that term, but, you know, like the, these guys get these passports handed to them directly from Vladimir. So it allows them to go basically anywhere in the world that they want and live anywhere that they want to. I think that this might be something for them to look at, but at the same time, imagine you're one of these oligarchs and you're trying to clear a billion dollars in crypto using an over-the-counter trade. You can use your banks. How are you gonna take possession of a billion dollars worth of crypto, which you know, honestly could just sit on a dongle? So it's, it's a USB drive, right? So it's no big right. deal. Yeah. But how are you actually going to deliver the counter funds? You have to have to do it either in some sort of commodity, gold, silver, diamonds, something like that, or cash. So it's still, uh, there's a lot of heavy lifting, like no pun intended, but there's a lot of heavy lifting that would be required from the buyer to actually comply. They can't just do a wire from one account to another and then accept delivery. So I think now would not be the time for them to get into it. When this whole situation calms down and when things start to get back to normal again, which who knows when that'll happen. but when that happens, uh, then I guarantee you a lot of these people that were right now locked out of their accounts are going to scramble into crypto. Yes, guaranteed.
0: To transition here into the couple that laundered a few billion dollars in crypto, for some background, in August of 2016, 119,754 bitcoins were stolen from one of the most popular crypto changes in the world, Bitfinex. In February, the couple, Iliad Lichtenstein and Heather Morgan, appeared in court responsible for laundering the stolen crypto. At the time of the attack, the Bitcoins were valued at around $70 million, but since then, Bitcoin has shot up in price, so it's now worth around $4.92 billion at the time of recording around March 4th, 2022. Heather Morgan was a contributor at Forbes Inc. and CEO of Enpass, which ironically was an Ethereum wallet with, quote, bank-grade security to prevent fraud. Ilya Lichtenstein was also the founder of the blockchain startup Enpass. And to be clear, the blockchain itself wasn't hacked. So given this information, what are your thoughts on this situation?
1: i got a lot of thoughts about this. Um, first off, the, the fad of crypto being a way to launder money, those days are done. That's over with it is so much easier to launder money with fiat today than it is with crypto. So uh, all those bad actors that are thinking about doing it, good luck, because it's, it's, you're basically just, you know, writing your own jail ticket. To talk about the hack itself, to talk about exactly what happened there. So I haven't had a, a, a very deep dive into it, but I'll tell you this, from my experience, most, if not all of these hacks have some sort of human engineering component to it. And to some degree, many of them involve inside participants so there are bad actors that are within the organization helping and abiding and abating some third party outside of it for whatever reason okay usually monetary obviously it's monetary reason but it could be for a lot of different reasons why they're doing it but I've seen that happen live effectively I know somebody that formed a business relationship of mine that the, the principal one of the principals was on stage giving a seminar and this was a, an on stage event that everybody was waiting for and while that was happening there were coins being siphoned out of their exchange so there was a a timed attack okay the only people who would know that he was going to do that at that time were insiders right uh, plus, it's so much easier just to have somebody on the inside to basically pull levers and switches and make something happen versus to trying to like, brute force a password or brute force entry into someone's computer and try to get them or try to get some sort of uh, you know uh, system corrupted, installing spyware or malware and try to search and try to do all these things. It's just so much easier and more efficient to work with an inside person. So from my perspective, there was definitely somebody that was working with them, Maybe not them specifically, but a team that they were affiliated with. Ultimately, those coins ended up in their possession. How you know that's that's to be determined. But yeah, there's uh, there's no safe haven anymore for money launderers or thieves within the world of, uh, of crypto. Those days are long gone.
0: Yeah, one example is an analogy is like leaving the map to your apartment at the scene of a crime. So the other the other thing <laughs> is according to the MIT Technology Review. In 2019, the security team at Coinbase noticed Ethereum Classic was under attack. The attacker somehow gained control of more than half the network c- computing power and was using it to rewrite the transaction history, which made it possible to spend the same cryptocurrency more than once, which Twice. is kind of double spends. Yeah. yeah. Um, so given this information, does not mean that the blockchain, the Bitcoin blockchain can also be hacked, which is contrary to popular belief? So...
1: So this is the reality, right? And uh, I'm, I'm, when when I say what I'm about to say, the first thing that comes into my mind uh, are these uh, astro theoretical astrophysicists that talk about what are, what's the likelihood of you appearing on Mars? Okay, there is a chance that you could just miraculously appear on Mars or anywhere else in the universe. It's a very 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 small number, and I think it's sort of like there, there's a um, there's a relationship here between that number and, and the chance and likelihood of somebody taking over the Bitcoin network. When you are sufficiently decentralized, could somebody, could a participant come in and start to purchase all the available Bitcoin out there in order to get to 51%? In theory, absolutely, it could be done. Uh, the likelihood of it happening is extremely low. Um, on that note, Simba Chain has plans for a token issuance later this year. I'm not gonna go into it too much because there is some legalese around it and we are filing a provisional followed by a utility because of the way we are releasing this in a decentralized uh, manner. That method hasn't been done yet. We came up with something completely unique uh, specifically to maintain compliance, not just from the SEC's perspective, but also from the network participants perspective so that it's, even more difficult than Bitcoin to, for, for somebody to come in and try to centralize everything. And, and that exists across the board with different protocols, right, so Ethereum, Ethereum has no limit, no top limit whatsoever, and but they do have an annual limit of how many coins could be minted on an annual basis. Now, if you leave it open-ended like that, it is even more impossible to try to take over 51% of the network. So Bitcoin, which we all know has a cap of 21 million, at some point, that'll be it. No more coins being minted. Maybe Seamus or somebody else is sitting around slowly collecting Bitcoin, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there until you amass enough that you can put them all together into one wallet and then try to bring the whole network down. I don't know what kind of value that would bring you to do that. But going back to the the citation that you had regarding Ethereum Classic, normally I've seen when, when we see flaws, like the one we saw in Wormhole with Solana a couple of weeks ago, usually it's that interface that has a flaw to it and due to a flaw in that interface code and that API is where people can kind of manipulate it. The blockchain itself, you know, if you're just looking at looking at the, the blockchain itself and how it records information, how it uh, provides reporting on it, yeah, it's immutable, right? And it, it's good to go. It's re- Usually I, I haven't seen any issues. And I, again, I could be wrong on this, and I'm sure there'll be some cybersecurity experts that'll be like, uh-uh, let's talk about this, let's talk about that. but. Generally speaking, they're, um, they're pretty safe and sound. It's only when you try to add on any kind of third-party service on top of it that sits on top of it, or interfaces with it, where you will start to find all kinds of security flaws that those are manipulated. And that's usually the problem. But again, I'll, I'll let a cybersecurity expert dive into that a little bit more.
0: And going back to the Bitcoin laundering scheme, what type of person in Bitfinex would have access to give Morgan and Ilya the ability to launder that much crypto?
1: I'm not going to talk specifically about Bitfinex because I don't know that word enough, but in any typical exchange today, it could be anybody from the C-level, leadership level down to any any engineer that has hands-on access to those private keys or to those wallets or a combination of. Nowadays, they're a lot smarter than they were, you know, four or five years ago. So nowadays, they make sure that there's a number of people required at any given point in time in order to enter keys at the same time, two factor, three factor, four factor authentication, whatever it is, in order to actually release that stuff. That's why also self custody, right? So the, the ability to um, have my, you know, let, let the users, the end users custody coins on their own is such a safer bet. I mean, Coinbase was a centralized exchange, still is a centralized exchange. But with the ad, now that they're really heavily pushing Coinbase wallet, now they are kind of like hedging their bets on the DEX side and the DEX is so much easier to operate. It's just a small, smart contract. It takes a little bit of piece of transactions. Uh, you let the participants create the liquidity pools and guess what? You don't have to worry about KYC AML because it's all decentralized and it's, it's all there. We are also looking at that as an option uh, with regard to our own wallet development on being able to create A function called a passport and i'm not gonna it's again a discussion for another time but uh it's it's interesting stuff when it comes to the world of kyc aml and verifying coin history and legacy because if you go and you pick up coin at uniswap it may may not work anywhere you take it to depending on what kind of history it comes with
0: and for people in the audience who are not completely clear on what kcyml is what is it kyc
1: aml so kyc know your customer And AML is anti-money laundering. So when you are filling out an application to get a bank account or an exchange account, or you just want to open up an E-Trade, Ameritrade account, it's up to the broker dealer, the bank, whoever that fiduciary is to know who you are, to know that Seamus is so-and-so. We verified your identity. So we know that it's not somebody pretending to be Seamus. And we also know that Seamus is not on any kind of sanctions list. We don't expect you to be a bad actor or maybe you are we don't know yet we'll find out Uh, or you might be what's called a pp a politically exposed person that is the purpose of kyc there are a few um derivatives out of that like a kyb which means know your business uh, which means that if you're trying to set up mbit as a corporate client of an exchange they would want to know about mbit show me the proof you know your documentation your corporate formation utility bill where you're located all that stuff uh, and then there's something else called the KYCC, which is know your customers' customers. So if MBIT is acting as an introducing broker to an exchange, they want to understand who your customer, you being the customer of the exchange, but they want to know who your customers are. Right. So that's just to get basic understanding about who they're dealing with and who is interacting with them. That's on the KYC side. AML, anti-money laundering, those are policies that are put into effect to prevent money laundering using funds for illicit activities and uh, that could mean anything from using it to you know launder drug money or uh funds that were used in you know, like what's going on right now in russia and ukraine i'm sure that there are a lot of russians out there that unfortunately can't get any kind of money through the bank so they're looking at other ways of doing so well any bank or any financial institution that will take their cash these days that institution is putting themselves at risk for aml because there's a sanction against them right now. You'd be breaking that sanction if you if you did any any kind of business. It's unfortunate, but that's just the way it is. So yeah, AML is there to prevent from just bad actors using your infrastructure, your operations to, to allow them to continue to operate illegally and
0: doing whatever it is that they're doing. And what are some examples of those anti-money laundering policies?
1: Uh sure. So for example, we, you know, you wouldn't be able to sign up for an account if you're in what's called an OFAC nation, a nation that's essentially not allowed to do business in the U.S., like North Korea, Venezuela, and Iran, a few others. So if you're if you're a North Korean resident, and you wanna open up a Coinbase account, I'm sorry, you're out of luck. It's not gonna happen. Uh, so that's one one thing. Another is that if you're looking to do a withdrawal to a bank account, so let's say, you you show up you open up a coinbase account you're all good to go you're trading you're excited you made a bunch of money now you want to withdraw it the bank account that you're withdrawing the funds to has to get verified number one it has to match your information too and then they might even do a test why to prevent bad actors from making a deposit and then taking that money and moving it to a different bank that's not under your name essentially using in this case, it would be Coinbase or Kraken, whatever third party exchange, as a means to just simply transport money from one account to another without there being a significant trail, which even though there is, but using a third party just makes it easier. Okay. Got it. So those are
0: some examples. And after this hack, how, did, how do you think that impacted the faith of cryptocurrency?
1: So I would say when that hack happened, yeah, a lot of people were very concerned about it. They're like, this is too much because, I mean, you got to think back a few years like every other week there was some sort of hack happening and people were like losing their minds like you know what is this this crypto thing it's not even worth getting into it's so easy to steal like why would anybody want to own it uh i think bitfinex did the right thing they issued i forgot what the name of the token was but they issued a token a replacement token yes for all that Bitcoin it was taken right so so now that they're able to get it back now they can actually do reimbursements to people i think those people are so lucky to have because if they were still sitting on bitcoin a year two years ago three years ago they might have sold it by now but now that they got this credit that they had to sit on until now right oh i'm sure a lot of them are very happy about that. <laughs> I'm right, sure they are. yeah um i mean think about it when, at the time it was valued at what 30 million i forgot what the number was 70 now. million yeah 70 million thank you and now it's at 3.4 billion so yeah i think a lot of people are going to be very happy about that but uh yeah i think that Again, it, it, we're getting smarter. I think law enforcement is getting way smarter about it. They understand this stuff way, way better than they did three, four years ago. The tech is out there to help them forensically ana- provide analysis and to do a very deep analysis. In, and they didn't have these tools four or five years ago. So yeah, the days of, of, of trying to use crypto or, or trying to defraud using crypto or money launder using crypto, those days are, are pretty much done with, on it, if you ask me. I mean, I'm sure you'll have a few people over there, 100 bucks here, 1,000 bucks there, something small. But if your intention is to do, you know, hack into a system, which we also saw last year, there there was one major DAO hack, and I forgot how many hundreds of millions in, in, in equivalent token he had. He couldn't do anything with it. You know, this, this guy was sitting on hundreds of millions of dollars worth of assets, and he couldn't do anything with it because everybody was looking at that wallet. or was like, going to be tracking where that goes. Take it to a mixer. Good luck with that you know, that mixer will be shut down. Right. So um, yeah, ultimately, I think that uh, that uh, those days are really numbered. So people are just going to have to go back to uh, laundering money the old fashioned way through, you know, good old greenback.
0: And with Bitfinex's $70 million initial loss. Is there type of is there some sort of insurance that would cover that? Or is that a statistical loss on their balance sheet?
1: So yes to no. So Companies like Coinbase, for example, they have a, they'll have they have like Lloyds of London that gives them a guarantee, but that guarantee is contingent on a lot of stuff. What does that mean? So if you're gonna get insurance on your wallet, first off, there are certain criteria you have to meet. Show us the certain security protocols you have in place. We wanna understand who's the staff and what. We really wanna understand your, your disaster recovery business continuity plans that you have as an organization before we even think about insuring in providing you with any kind of coverage. Then it boils down to how much are you keeping in your hot wallet versus your cold wallets. What is the process of moving funds between hot and cold? How do you do it? They'll come back with with a type of analysis uh, and then yeah, they'll they'll provide an insurance policy. I don't think it's 100%. I think it's close to 100%, but the policy will only be valid if your your exchange followed those protocols to the t if the exchange does not follow a protocol and some intern somehow puts a post-it note where they shouldn't have with some information that should for whatever reason and money is lost the insurance company will point to that and say this was on you and yeah again out of luck but um no it's it's not uncommon for for certain companies even like wallets like curve like fire blocks you know they they're all looking to provide a, a safe custody solution for their customers for their institutional customers so they are insured to some degree as well provided again they follow certain procedures and that their customers follow certain procedures as well
0: and in 2017 the stolen bitcoin was transferred in a high volume of small transactions are there ways or systems being developed to pick up these high frequency small transactions to detect fraud
1: well, yeah. Um, but there's a limit. Like they're not gonna track, you know, fifty dollar transactions, hundred dollar transactions as much as they would track, you know, thousand, hundred thousand dollar transactions, right? Um something that has started about a year ago, a little over a year ago, I should say, something called the travel rule. Are you familiar with the travel rule? Not yet. Okay. So when if you and I, just you and I are trying to transact, I'm trying to send you tokens, you're trying to send me tokens, that's all fine and dandy, but if now you send me tokens and now I want to go ahead and use those tokens on centralized exchange. Uh, again, let's assume everything's all clear and copacetic yeah. and you bought, everything is all done. So it's all good. But now that exchange, I want to move it from exchange A to exchange B. Well, exchange A and exchange B have no way to really verify that it's Simon's coin on exchange A going to Simon's account on exchange B. Or it might be Seamus's account on exchange B that I'm sending it to. So. The solution there is the travel rule Travel rule is a consortium effectively right now. And it has a number of different, um, standards. There's no one unique standard there. There's the standards all over the place. And that's because there's really no central authority here. Right? We're, we're talking about decentralized
0: yeah.
1: market, but because there's no centralized authority, the problem, well, not going to go into the problem just yet, but basically the, the travel rule is meant to allow for exchanges to know where this money, where the funds are coming from and where they're supposed to go to, to from my wallet to your wallet, okay? And therefore there is a little bit of a a paper trail now that's created with somebody who is authorized at that exchange and with a wallet that exists in the second exchange. So the travel rule is slowly getting there and they're slowly starting to implement it with all centralized exchanges. I expect the next five years, you will not be able to get a bank account as a exchange provider if you do not follow the travel requirements.
0: Okay, got it. And law enforcement got access to the Bitcoin by decrypting a file in Liechtenstein's account containing mm. 2000 keys to all of the wallets. Would you mind walking through the audience the differences from a security standpoint between storing keys in the cloud and physical storage? So okay, so when we're talking about
1: hardware, so there are, there is hardware out there that is designed specifically to hold information, so that that, that uh, external drive, and I have a few around here, so we're probably floating around, but that external drive survives, you know, a fall from 100 feet. It has some sort of uh, ability to withstand a certain amount of psi. If you drop it in a river up to 100 meters, it's fine. You know, it has maybe probably electromagnetic uh, uh, repulsion capabilities. That's really what it is. It's like a drop, you know. It's a, it's a strong box, effectively, right? Um, when it comes to security, so now this is also something very interesting at Simba Chain. So we have a pro, we procure, procure we we <laughs> we bought a company uh, this year called Strong Salt, and the intention there is to do something that hasn't really been done yet before, which is to secure information, very much in line with what you're asking right now. To secure information on the blockchain. Encrypted information on the blockchain that is searchable. Let that resonate for a second. So, you take a bunch of information, right? Let's say those private keys that you were talking about before, we encrypt it. So now it doesn't look anything like it looked before, right? And then we put it on the blockchain so that you're happy because you're like, well, I know it's not going to go anywhere and it's encrypted. So, anybody who manages to even look at it has no idea what they're even looking at. But through your own private key, you can search it. You can search through it. So you know that might not be great for 2,000 you know keys, but it would be fantastic for teraflops of information, private information, maybe patient health information, perhaps that you want to be able to store in an immutable way, but you need to have them uh,
0: secured, but yet searchable. And what sense. type of encryption is being used to keep it uh, that secure?
1: yeah nothing nothing too out of the ordinary you know shot 256 i believe is sort of like the standard they're going with i mean they can yoke it up to uh, 1046 if you know the thing is is that it's really what is the difference between one and the other between 256 and 512 is a difference of I, i don't know exactly but it's something like probably around 20 30 years worth of brute force attempts okay you know so there's a way to really analyze if you're using a a numerical uh, password, an alpha numerical password that's seven characters long versus 10 characters long. It's usually a difference of, I don't know, 10 to 20 years in brute force attempts or something like that. I don't know. I Again, I'm just talking to the top yep. of my head. I used to know this stuff a while ago, but um, yeah, so that's kind of like in a nutshell.
0: Okay. And uh, to wrap it up here, what are your takeaways for the audience for everything we discussed today? I think what
1: I would say is this, is that first off, all, the crypto market is becoming way more secure, way more streamlined. Um, governments are now starting to really understand a lot more. Uh, today's release by the SEC saying that they're investigating NFT marketplaces and guaranteed either by the end of this year or the end of 2023. Uh, no NFT marketplace will be able to onboard customers without actually doing a KYC AML, like a deep dive KYC AML very similar to you know if you're opening up an account with a centralized exchange you have to like take a photo you have to ver- do some sort of biometric verification id verification it's very quick it's very simple but it's um it's another you know it's a it's a it's a layer of complexity um simba chain is looking to create all kinds of tools and utilities not just for our nft marketplace partners but also for those that are looking to do seamless integration and seamless onboarding of customers so Onboarding of customers is going to get easier. The user experience from wallets to third party DApps, decentralized apps. Those are going to start getting easier. I think that DAOs are going to become a little bit more transparent and they're going to become a little bit more mainstream in the world of crypto and NFTs and ultimately the metaverse. You know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of potential there. But I think uh, back back to just crypto. Yeah, it's it's an evolving market and uh, every year looks better than the year prior. So let's let's see what happens next year.
0: That's awesome. Very interesting stuff. Looking forward to hearing more about it, hopefully in the future. All right, everyone, that wraps it up for today's episode. Thanks for tuning in to the Embed Podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to drop a five-star review down below. And thank you, Simon, for hopping on the pod. It was a pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having me again. I appreciate it. I appreciate it.